Well, welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. Today, we're gonna to tackle two really big topics that are threats to the American system of government. The first one is the Supreme Court, and the second one is the filibuster. And both are under attack from the left. Uh, they're literally trying to dismantle these key components of our system of checks and balances. Well, our guest today is an expert in these two areas. His name is Barry Farah. Barry is the host of the popular podcast, by his name. He's a highly successful businessman, the author of three successful business and leadership books, and he speaks to groups on the foundations of the American dream, freedom economics, and the American idea. He's even made, made a run for governor of Colorado in 2018, and we sure do wish you had won, I'll tell you that. Barry, well, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be on with you. Did it, you know, the run for governor, okay, this isn't, this is just bonus material. The run for governor, yeah. was that, did you enjoy that? I did. I just didn't give myself uh, enough time to build the rapport I needed to with the assembly. It was mm -hmm. a lot of fun though. And uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. If, if you've got an extra 30 or $40 million, yeah. I'll be happy to run again. <laughs> it's sad. Okay. Now that's, that's pretty sad to say that, but that's actually true, right? How unfortunately there's some truth to that. Yeah. The money and in, in the influence in politics is, is pretty sad, yeah. but um, so let's get right into it. It, it. It's no secret that the Supreme court, one of the three branches of our constitutional right. Republic, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means at some point yep. that the Supreme court is taking heavy fire from the left. Ever since the overturning of Roe, the, the leftists yep. have been calling for the complete destruction yep. of the Supreme Court. They're openly totally. criticizing their decisions. And worse yet, in some ways, they're allowing protests, sometimes relatively unpeaceful protests outside their homes. And others are talking about packing the court. We're going to get into all of those. But before we do, help us understand the role of the Supreme Court and why it's so important to the success of America. Well, Certainly. I mean, if you look at Article um, One of the Constitution, you've got the legislative branch. That's uh, important. You've got the House and the, and the Senate and 2,200 and something words to explain how that works. Then you've got Article Two, the executive branch, and about half the amount of words to explain that. Mm. And then number three is the judicial branch. And the idea, the, the notion was, in um, about 300 and something words for that. So it's very important, but you could get to the punch of it quickly. Mm. In other words, you didn't have as many issues. And why is that? Well, these guys were not going to be elected. So you didn't have to go through all the explanation of what it takes to get elected. They're going to be appointed. And why are they going to be appointed versus the executive branch being elected a certain way and the legislative branch being elected a different way? And, and within there are two different ways of being elected for the House mm. and the Senate. And the reason... There is this Supreme Court or, or the whole judicial branch set up the way it is, is because it is supposed to be different than the other two where there's an election. That's why we have a constitutional mm. republic. We're yes. not a true, pure democracy. Pure democracies can turn into a dictatorship, but a republic has infrastructure built into it that has what we've commonly called checks and balances. Yep. So the importance of the judiciary being separated is that they're supposed to judge uh, without contamination. They're supposed to judge thoroughly and fairly and reasonably. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, if you don't have good judges, that breaks down. Yep. But that's what judges are supposed to do. So they're not supposed to be connected to mob rule, and they're not even supposed to be popular, and they're not supposed to vote 
according to the popular vote. In other words, if the polls say 70% of the people agree with this and 30% don't, that shouldn't have anything to do with how they determine what they come to. They should be Mm. purely ruling on the basis of law and on the basis of the interpretation of what the Constitution meant and what it said. Which is pretty important, right? And I guess in, in its original design by the founders, it was not meant to be a political body, right? I mean, it was meant to be independent Correct. by design. It, you know, is, has that changed over time? Has, has it become, well, obviously, it's at the center of politics, right? It's getting attacked right now by the left, but occasionally gets attacked by the right. Is it in its function? Is it a political body today or has it changed from the original design? Well, the original design, keep in mind, there's always been rascals. Okay. So (laughs) the the notion that we only have rascals recently is, is not probably fair to say. So, um, there, there have always been attempts to use the Supreme court for, for bad things. The Supreme court wasn't always proper, but they did over time correct themselves. Yeah. So of course there's the, the horrible time of the Supreme Court ruling badly on e- equality. And with the 14th Amendment coming in in 1868, and then the following rulings that came as a result of that, um, people were to be treated equally, regardless of what color they had and where they came from and whether they were a man or a woman. And so that's a, a good thing. The Supreme Court got it right. But if they didn't have that independence, essential independence where there was that uh, you're appointed and then you're left on your own to make good judgments, even at the chagrin of the guy that appointed you, which has yeah. happened more yeah. often than not, uh, then you lose the potential to self-correct. Mm. So what has um, seemed to change is a concerted effort to use the Supreme Court to get their way. And so in the 50s and 60s, abortion was this huge issue. And it was one of the singular issues of um, uh, certain movements. Mm -hmm. And they believed that by having the ability to um, force abortion through, uh, they would be able to accomplish a whole bunch of other things that were part of their agenda. Mm -hmm. So this group of people actually had a thought through plan of how to get there, but they couldn't get there through legislation. They tried over and over again. And the legislative body, the body that's closest to the people that's supposed to make the laws, that group didn't make the law they wanted. So they decided to figure out a way to make a law through the Supreme Court. And it was actually a plan, a concerted plan over a a number of years. Uh, Larry Ladder is probably the foremost contributor to executing this plan. And so through public relations and everything else, um, they accomplished the 1973 Roe versus Wade decision, which is really not a very um, good decision. It's not a decision that was um, based on constitutional law. There is no abor- word abortion in the Constitution. What the, con- what the Supreme Court should have said is, look, this needs to be a state issue, and the yeah. Supreme Court really can't decide for every state this law, since this law is not clearly laid out in the Constitution. Mm. So- since they couldn't do it legislatively, they did it through the courts. And that did change things a lot. Yeah. So yeah. then earlier on in the 70s, all the way up to really about 85, 86, most Supreme Court justices were approved. There were a few that were blocked, but most of them were approved on 80 to 90 to 10, 80 to 20 uh, uh majorities. So they were mm-hmm. massive majorities for most yeah. of the Supreme Court justices that got on until... Justice Bork. And Bork was this extraordinary scholar, and he believed in originalism, and he was this uh, guy who had a command of uh, natural law. Mm-hmm. And he was able to just like put you in your place. So yeah. are, are you older today 
than you were yesterday. <laughs> yes, but but it, it's relative, so, I think, you, today. Regardless of how you feel, are you less young today than you were yesterday? Listen, that's a complicated question today. Hard to believe. Isn't that too funny? Yeah. So he would use natural law and he'd say, so I, he'd say, if, if, if I got, if I got you on that one, that's a law of nature, I can get you on all the other laws of nature. So he was so eloquent and so Brilliant. powerful in his communication that the left was scared of him. So they borked him. And this was really the first time that the Supreme court uh, nominee had an all out attack mm. against the nominee, not on his jurisprudence capabilities, but on the fact that he was too good at what he believed in. And right. we don't agree with him and we don't want him to be on there because he's going to be able through natural law to support an overturning of Roe versus mm. Wade. And then ever since mm. then, it's become political, mostly by the left, trying to torpedo conservative justices. Yeah. And not until Trump came along and until really the Democrats changed the way that things, the, the rule works, which I'd be happy to discuss, yeah. did it did it turn out to be all almost political of who gets on. Yeah. But in well, terms of the Supreme Court well, operating let, politically. Let me jump in real quick. Yeah, it, please. It is interesting to me that that because I looked at the the Senate confirmation, what you're speaking of in particular is the Senate yeah. confirmation process. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, now we just need a simple majority, I think, as I understand it, which is yep. is a change, right? And I'll let you talk a little bit about that. But sure. I remember looking, I looked at the scorecard. And for years and years and years, all of these Senate confirmation hearings would end with a, a vote, an overwhelming vote to confirm candidates or to yeah. not confirm if they weren't qualified, if they were deemed unqualified. But it was overwhelming until the Bork decision. And then ever since then, it feels like to me, both sides are trying to appoint justices that support their own view of how the Supreme Court should evaluate the constitutionality of laws. No, right? There's no doubt that and, that's the case. And I get that, right? So, you know, I remember when Trump came in and he said he was going to appoint a certain kind of judge that that was originalist, right? That would interpret mm -hmm. the law uh, against the original intent of the Constitution, which I believe yeah. is, of course, the way to do it. Um, no justice should be given the power to legislate from the bench, which it was that Roe decision. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about how the, the Senate confirmation requirements have changed. Yeah, this is fascinating, actually. I just learned this. So um, you said I was an expert. That might be a little heavy, but I, <laughs> You're a recent I, I read expert. it. I, I read it on an internet somewhere, and so it must be true. Now, so, so going back to um, 1806, hmm. the filibuster um, was put in place as a rule. It was Rule 22. The first 20 rules came in in 1789, right out the gate. Mm. And why is that? Well, it's because in Article 1, Section 5, it says the Senate can make up their own rules. The House can make their own rules and they need it to be governed by it. And of course, it mm. makes sense. You got it. How am I going to have a chair? How am I going to... Um, uh, um, uh, how am I going to recognize somebody that's on the floor, et cetera? Mm. So the first 20 rules were in place, 1789. There's only been seven changes to the rules mm. since then. And in 1806, there were were a few other rules added, which was rule 22 and rule 22 basically put in this filibuster, which basically said, look, we just, we want the minority to always have a say. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to let people stand up, make their case and, and they can delay things. Well, finally in 1917, they said, you know what, we probably ought to modify this so that if 
uh, two thirds of the Senate says, shut up already, that, that we can we can have a cloture and then force the debate to end. And then they modified that in 1975 to uh, three fifths, so 60. Mm. So that's where you have the 60 senators. Yeah. So since then, the filibuster still been in play from 1970s on, but really all the way through uh, the 1970s, it wasn't used that often. A few times a goofball would use it and they would get overruled. And then a few times somebody sincere would use it for a good reason and and, 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 and it wouldn't get overruled and eventually mm-hmm. change the dynamic. But overall, the filibuster has stopped the country from going too far right or too far left too fast. Mm. That was kind of the whole concept. Well, mm. fast forward to Harry Reid, 2013. Harry Reid's the head of the Senate, and he's frustrated as heck. And he's got Obama, he's got the House, he's got the Senate, and he can't get any of his appointments through, and he's mad. Because and these are federal judges. Need, because how many votes did they need at that time? Well, you need 60. 60 votes, okay. So we're still in that 1975 Rule 22. Rule 22 still intact, hasn't yeah. changed, not one word. Then they just added, I mean, they changed it uh, from 1806 to 1975. But in 1975, Rule 22 is intact. So the only thing that really changed is they added some exemptions. They said exceptions. They said, you know, when you're doing budget reconciliation, you don't need it. So if you have both, that's why they were able to get the 1.9 trillion passed. So budget wow. reconciliation, you don't have to have it. Uh, for some things, you don't have to have it like uh, uh, like army bases and treaties, but you have to have it for major legislation and you have to have it for appointments. Mm. But in 2013, Reed's frustrated. So he says, I'm going to use what's called the nuclear option. People, what's the nuclear option? Well, I'm going to invent a manipulative way to use rule 20. Now you go to rule 20 and it's funny as heck that they were able to pull this off, but it's just a point of order. And Mm. so I'm going to have a point of order and basically put my resolution in the point of order. Mm. And then the presiding officer of the Senate will say, no, that doesn't comply with the rules. And then according to rule 20, if it doesn't, now keep in mind, the rule 20 was in place to just say, let's clarify rules. That's the whole point of it. And we're going to let the presiding officer clarify. So now rule 20 goes into place. uh, And he says, look, then at the end of rule 20 is if, if the presiding officer uh, the, uh, the the pro tempore president, basically a guy who's appointed, he's number two in charge, mm. um, and he operates as the president of the Senate to administer just votes and stuff when the vice president's not there, which is most all the time. Mm. If if they disagree with him, they can disagree with this administrative clarification of a rule by just saying, okay, then you, I, the chair, say you, the president of pro tempore, uh, you tell me I'm wrong. I'm going to say, let's put it to a vote. No debate. Rule 20 says you immediately vote on it. No debate. And then whatever happens, happens. Mm. Well, they were never intending for this to be on a major issue, especially wow. an issue that Rule 22 says can't happen unless you have two-thirds of the Senate. Two-thirds of the Senate have to agree to a rule change. Amazing. Unbelievably conniving sons of a guns, aren't they? I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh. This so is they why figured out a way like to do that. And so this is why oh, people it's, it's don't vicious. like politicians. Jeez. It's, this is why so many people get so frustrated is they don't know exactly what happened here. And it's kind of takes a long time to explain, mm. but they kind of understand in general that something bad happened. They yeah. basically took this concept where you're supposed to have two thirds of the Senate to change a rule by which everybody operates. And they figured out a way to basically come up and say, hey, I raise a point of order. And then the president pro tempore says, that's not right. And then he says, okay, I appeal. I appeal the ruling and I want you to put it to a vote. So anyway, at that time, 2013, they had 52 senators um, that voted in concert with Reed with this conniving plan. 
and then 48 were Democrats and three, I mean, three Democrats and all the rest Republicans said, no, we don't want you to do it. So it was 52 to 48 and they lost. And so I'm going to read you. I just found it here. Okay. So this is what happened at the very end. Under the precedent set by the Senate today, November 21st, 2013, the threshold for cloture on nominations, not including those to the Supreme Court of the United States is now a majority. That's simple. Can you believe that? No. So that's how they changed it. So that's why all appointments now sail through just on these real thin little majorities. It's amazing. And then the Republicans did the same thing in 2017 for the Supreme Court, basically saying, Mitch McConnell said, I promise you, Harry, over your dead body, which is what it ended up being. But I will will do the same thing (laughs) to you that you did to us when we get power. And this is the crazy thing about things like the filibuster and changing these rules. The power always goes back and forth. Yes. I mean, I, I'm a Republican. I wish it was always Republicans, but that's just not going to happen. Yeah. And so anyway, as a result of that, appointments now sail through. And then because the Republicans did the same thing on that same exact procedure, they said, we're going to do the same procedure. They actually used the same words and just changed Supreme Court for the appointments. Yeah. And uh, so now all appointments, Supreme Court justices, go through with just a thin majority vote, which was not the intent. It's amazing. I mean, for- and it makes the the judiciary a more political body because of it, because you don't really need any cooperation from the minority. You said you said a couple of things that were really interesting in that. One, you said the rules originally were designed to make sure that the minority always has a voice. And I love that. Yeah. And I think that's sure. the beauty of a constitutional republic. You know, we hear it all the time. Everything is a threat to our democracy. Oh, my gosh. Right. If you've seen those, you know, I don't know if it's a meme, but they show where the news system is all saying the same thing. And they're all saying the same narrative in the same way. Right. Everything's right. a threat to our democracy. But truthfully, we started it off the program by saying we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional Correct. republic. What what are the differences between the two? We know we know this. We don't want to be a democracy, a straight democracy, because a straight democracy is simply the majority wins mob rule. In essence, it's mob rule. And, and well, the, the exactly. contrast, of course, is the rule of law, right? That, that these laws are given by God. These rights are given by God and we limit the role of government. Tell us why it's so important that we're a constitutional republic and not a pure democracy. Well, you, you, you pretty much answered the question with your question, which is exactly right. So mob rule, which is great. I like it that way. Then I can just copy off of you and have a good answer. So, <laughs> so but, but a constitutional republic has a structure to it mm. that prevents one branch of the government from doing everything. So mm. a democracy over time allows for dictatorship. I'll give you an example. Mm. Venezuela. They had a very similar constitution to ours. They had a constitutional republic. So Chavez gets in power and now he's mad as heck against the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court keeps knocking him down. They, they believe they still believe in private property Gosh. and they say, you know, you can't you can't just take away this guy's company. So Chavez gets mad and he packs the court. He does wow. what the Senate is trying to do now. He adds enough to the Supreme Court to dilute the natural um a majority that they had before. Mm. So out of the 45,000 rulings since he packed the court, guess how many of those rulings went against Chavez and his successor? I would have to think none. Zero. Zero. I mean, so come then, on. It's ridiculous. The, so then here's what happened. In his case, he was able then not only to pack the court, 
but he's able to just basically make up laws and then shove them over to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court would basically affirm his law, which mm. diminished the power of the legislature. Mm. So the legislature were becoming and became and now are packed mm. with people who vote for the president. So the Supreme Court says yes to the president. Legislature says yes to the president. It's a dictatorship. So democracies always tend toward either total chaos and anarchy, which mm. is rare, yeah. Or what most of the time happens and what Ben Franklin and Tom Jefferson and John Adams mm. were so concerned about, James Madison, um, all these guys were really concerned about it, talked about it a lot in their Federalist Papers. They adopt our Constitution because it prevents that. Yeah. It prevents moving toward a kingdom. Mm. It prevents one guy from having control. Yes. You here's what's interesting. Or, or, even talk a about few. Or, or even a few, right? It could be just ruled by the few. Absolutely. All yeah. this talk about the Supreme Court, just for grins, from yeah. January 1st through June tw uh, 30th, 2022, mm. what percent of the cases did the media tell you were ruled either 9 to 0, 8 to 1, or 7 to 2? 21%. Yeah, what percent? 20, no, no, 36% uh -huh. of the major, I, I said that wrong, 21 were uh, uh, 5 to 4. 36% were ruled 7 to 2 or eight wow. to one or nine to zero, 36%. So no argument on 36%. They were freedom issues that you couldn't argue against. Clear cut. I mean, you, you had a hard time arguing against. Clear cut. So no argument there. That's 36%. Okay. Now, 67% of mm. the five to four votes went with liberals. The media doesn't tell you that. What? That was only 21% of the votes. But that 21 plus 36, that gets you to 57. The balance of the votes were six to three. Wow. So it's, you know, that's just from January to June of 2022. That's the current Supreme Court. The, the one with this incredible six to three, you know, margin. And then Super sometimes- majority, the, right. Yeah. And sometimes the mix was interesting. Like you had Gorsuch connected with, I think, Sotomayor on one of those, that they were the two against the seven. And so it was like for different reasons. So what I'm trying to say is yeah. the Supreme Court needs to be able to make their own argument. They've yes. got to be able to look at the constitution and, and make their case. And I'm not going to agree with them all the time. And yeah. they're not going to agree with me all the time, but we have got to accept that the Supreme court was put in place for a reason as a part of our constitutional Republic for the very reason that the majority is upset right now Yeah, to well, put things in place in accordance with the constitution so that right. your freedoms don't get vanquished. Yes. Look at all the things that have been ruled against them that were related to the vaccine mandates. Oh yeah, Those were things that they didn't want to have ruled against them for those that would like to have power. But the benefit of them being ruled against is those freedoms have been restored to us yes. by constitutional authority. So now yes. the Supreme Court says you can't willy-nilly, as the government, tell a company right now that they have to have a vaccine. And that's mm. because the Constitution made that ruling. That was one of their uh, five yeah. to four rulings. You know, I'm, I, I got to tell you, I'm or six to three rulings. Yeah, I'm super encouraged to hear the, I mean, I would like it to be, you know, six, three on every issue that I'm in favor of, of course, but I'm really actually encouraged to know that the court, uh, that there is that independent judiciary, because you would not believe that based upon the media and the exactly. villainization of our current group, right? You would think they're in lockstep on every issue. This is totally polarized. That's just simply not true. So that it, that's, that's a super encouraging thing. Um, the other thing that you mentioned in this, and I think this is, it was implied by what you said, 
government is designed to be hard to change. It's it designed to be slow, right? We don't like it because it always feels like gridlock. I remember the days of gridlock where it felt like the government couldn't get anything done. But in some ways, our system is designed maybe not for gridlock, but certainly to slow down the, the rate it of is. change. Is that right? Absolutely. Because originally with the Constitution, if you include the 10 amendments, and I've got to throw the 14th in there too, because that's a, an area where we were really harebrained and we should have gotten that way before 1868. Yes. And I know people wanted to, but you know, we know the, we know the arguments in the case for why it took, you know, basically it was the Democrats from the South that opposed it. It's the right. bottom line. Right. But when you put the amendments in there, Hmm. And you've got the Constitution, the 1791 um, uh, version of the Constitution. You've got a pretty good government. Yeah. Now, we've gone way beyond that, but you had a pretty good government. Hmm. So what is in there? You have Article 1 for the legislative. And even within the legislative, just look how brilliant this thought is. We're going to have 435, eventually is what it turned out to be, of these guys mm. representing people. Really, and we have a population of 330 million people. In each of our congressional guys, it comes down to like 840,000 a person. So one congressional wow. guy is pretty close to the people. Yeah. He's got 800 and something thousand in his church, in his chapter, mm. in his that he's representing. Yeah. So that's the 435. They have to come up every two years. So they're very, that's intentional. They want you to be constantly campaigning. I mean, people say yeah. that's so negative. It's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. It forces you to be very close to the people. Yeah. It gives you more of the customer service side of government. Hey, I'm here to serve mm -hmm. you and help. Oh, you've got a, a guy who's blocking a development over here for no good reason. But here's what's interesting. So those are two years close to the guy, smaller territory. Then you've got the staggered six-year term, which is so brilliant. So it's staggered for the Senate and it's six years and it's a bigger territory. It's the whole mm -hmm. state. And so that is really smart. This guy in the Senate is going to be more deliberative. I've got six years. I just got in. Nobody's going to remember what happened five and a half years ago. So he's, you know, there's a, you know, I don't remember the actual joke, but there's a joke with the, the content of it is basically the first year of a senator is his most honest because he's constantly trying to do the right thing in that, in, in the last, he's doing the right thing in the first year. And then the last four years in the second year, maybe Sometimes in the last four years, he's trying to get reelected. So yeah, <laughs> but exactly. that first year is honest. But the bottom line is it's staggered. And so they're, they're not um, uh, those two legislative bodies are not competitive, mm. which is powerful. Yes. So the House can just run a majority and just ignore the minority. So if you took away the filibuster, I know you want mm. to talk about that at some point. Yeah. You take away the power of the minority yeah. to slow things down, which is a good thing. Yes. If we put everything in place that the Democrats wanted us to put in place this last 17, 18 months, mm. it would be, our country would be gone. Yeah. They would have taken away our voting capability. They would have taken away all kinds of things. They would have mm. forced this gender nonsense on everybody mm. in a legal way with the feds being involved. Mm. They would have forced a lot of churches to shut down. It would have been unbelievable yeah. if all yeah. of the stuff from HR1 and HR5 and Build yeah. Back Better got into oh. law, but they were all blocked yeah. because of the filibuster. It's amazing. And so we will talk, touch on the filibuster because it is so important and it's such a political football right now. And it's so important that we keep it. But let's talk. Let's stick to um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade just for a minute, because there was all kinds of conversation and hubbub around how the Supreme Court of the United States has no right to overturn what they call settled law. Right. The, hey, this is settled law. It's been in place for decades. But isn't that exactly what the Supreme Court is there to do to evaluate law against the Constitution? 
and then undo bad laws in the event that they're bad. They've done, first of all, they've done this before, right? Yeah. Thank God those people don't know what they're talking about oh. because the way that the Supreme Court w works is actually to establish constitutional law. So when the Supreme Court gets it wrong, it's incumbent upon the Supreme Court to fix bad law. So mm -hmm. if you look at what happened with the uh, unequal treatment of people in this country, yes. the Supreme Court ratified bad constitutional theory yes. and made it okay to treat people unequally. We had yeah. an amendment that overturned that after we fought a bloody civil war, yeah. but we still had people from the South, Democrats, who wanted to keep some rendition for themselves of discrimination. They mm. wanted to even keep their ability to have lynching Gosh. for people who aren't white, who committed the same crime of somebody who was white. Unbelievable. I, you, and this I, is all no the way idea. through the 50s. So the Supreme Court came in and overruled bad law and said, no, we have to treat people equally, period. Supreme mm -hmm. Court's ruling, that is the new constitutional law. So when you come up to the SCOTUS ruling, the Supreme Court ruling for Roe versus Wade, it's the only thing that the liberals care about to the, yeah. some extent because it builds on so many other of their building blocks. It helps yeah. defeat the nuclear family and all kinds mm -hmm. of other things they care about. Yeah. Um, and, and it opposes all kinds of things I care about. Yeah. But Let's just look at the law. I will actually accept what a state rules on, even if I disagree with it, if they legislate it. Mm -hmm. It's close to the state. Now you're not even talking about federal legislators. I'm at state legislators. Yep. You're talking about, you know, congressmen and the equivalent of congressmen and senators from the state. Some of them call them House of Commons, et cetera, but they're close mm -hmm. to the people. And if they vote on something and I don't agree with it, I'll still comply with it. I'm not going to mm -hmm. change that law. So I'm going to respect that. Yeah. But what the liberals wanted is for the Supreme Court to uphold a very fallaciously put together law. There was really no um, evidence that that law was put together constitutionally. And as one of the Supreme Court justices said at the time, this law was a legislative ramrod. This was mm -hmm. legislative force that he had never seen before. They had just invented things. Neither yeah. side asked for a trimester concept. And the Supreme Court just invented a trimester concept in that law. Just invented it. And decided this is when life starts and this is when it doesn't. And, and that was changed in 92. And Casey just made up their own law by changing from this trimester concept that the Supreme Court just invented. It sounded very legislative. Yeah. And then this Casey 92 law did the same thing, except they changed it to the feeling of the mom. If the mom feels a certain way, then it's okay. So, yeah. well, I guess in New York, you can feel like you don't want the baby until the baby's out of the womb. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so, it's ridiculous. And so, so it's it, it really was just task, bad, right? bad. And, and the reason there was so much fear about it for so long and the reason they had the Borking thing going on, because yeah. Bork would have just blasted the credoodles out of them in yeah. one big time. Yeah. And he was so authoritative in the way he spoke mm. and so smart. Nobody could outsmart him. So that they Borked him. But it, the reason they were so strong on the, the left was so strong on inventing this concept of coming mm -hmm. against a, a Supreme Court justice for the first time in that way, in a personal way to kind of yeah. attack him, not based on his jurisprudence, is because they knew that the law that was crafted to begin with was faulty. Yeah, it was going to not was gonna have constitutional bearing. Exactly. At what point? So, you know, for me, at what point does the or can the Supreme Court uphold that it's unconstitutional to allow states to make laws that impede on other people's right to life? So, for example, yeah, 
this decision, all it did, it didn't outlaw abortion. It didn't make it a crime. None of that happened. All it did was send this issue back to the states. But at what point can the Supreme Court consider the fact that an abortion could be infringing upon a greater right, a greater natural right to life, which I believe is protected in the Constitution, that we all have the right to life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in the in our documents, right? At what point could they consider that? Well, Justice Alito, as I recall, I don't have it right in front of me, but he, um, he basically mentioned that. Mm. And the way he presented it was, um, I can't remember the exact words, but he basically said, I'm kind of amazed that none of the dissenters on this six to three decision ever mention the right of the unborn child at any time. Not ever. I mean, is there no right for this unborn child at mm -hmm. any time? So he opened the door for what you're saying, which wow. is to circle back to that. Now, I don't think that's practically going to happen, to be honest. It's just mm -hmm. too uh, potent of an issue. So I think what's going to end up happening is the states will basically do what Europe kind of did mm. um, up to a certain period of time where science is clear beyond any shadow of a doubt. And this is a, I'm a person of faith, but for people yeah. who don't have any belief in God, even to them, when there's no, no doubt that that is a person, yes. then they basically rule that it's illegal. Yep. And so that's coming to settle somewhere between 10 and 15 weeks. And of course, with science and technology, it's yeah. getting you know fewer and fewer weeks, but it's yeah. becoming close to the time that you're even aware that you yeah. are pregnant. And yeah. so that's already mm -hmm. the, the way it is in Europe and a lot of other countries, Japan, others. Yeah. And so they were actually more conservative than the U.S. Mm. on a national level. But there, yeah. there's a reason for that. They did it legislatively. Ah, interesting. And that yeah. kind of forces that. And, but yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but Alito opened the door for it. Well, you know, it's funny. You know, I have my own personal opinion about, about whether that should happen, especially living in a state like Colorado, like you and I both do. Yes. Uh, Colorado just passed one of the most egregious yes, uh, anti-life bills in the history of Earth. It's barbaric, actually. It um, is. It conferring no rights, like you said, absolutely zero rights to personhood to the unborn child yeah. all the way up through delivery, yeah. which is just absolutely unconscionable. You, I think it's uh, it's revealing a bit about the actual agenda as far as I'm concerned. It, it but does. I think I think that's the perfect law to take to the Supreme Court because they right. have denied the unborn child any uh, any personhood, any rights as a person. And I right. think we can, you know, you mentioned it. There's that, a that one, I think you would actually have, I think you would actually have an ar argument with that one. Yep. And that would be really interesting to see what would happen with that. I yep. just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Probably not because I primarily. think it would have to be down the road yeah. just because yeah. there's so much steam it's behind this contentious. one. It would have to be maybe five, seven years from now. But I think that's an yeah. interesting argument. And Alito opened yeah. the door for it. That's amazing. It is. It's so contentious. Right. And you mentioned the difference between science and faith. Science tells me when life begins. And, and that's actually not in dispute. Right. It, there's no dispute biologically or according to science about when life begins. But faith yes. informs my opinion, my belief system about the value of that human life and whether or not we should protect it and when. But science yeah. is kind of settled on this issue. Well, right? well, science basically says that at conception, yes, you've got all the elements. 
And yeah. I'm sorry for those who are confused about their gender and such. And I don't mean to be not compassionate, but I'm not confused about gender. And I don't think God is. But yeah. when there, there is support for the biblical concept of he created them male and female, yes. which is a really powerful verse. It's the very first part of our, 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 our Bible. Mm. And the, the concept there is that there was a deposit you know, of God on that person created in his image. Yes. What's interesting is science actually kind of proves that out. Yeah. The DNA, the personality, the um, uh, the gender, that person is a male or a female at that mm. time, is known yes. to science at conception. And you can look this up Amazing. on WebMD um, embryo, you know, Amazing. or you know, just, just type in because a couple of things the and, and they'll explain right? it to you and they'll show you all kinds of pictures. Yeah, because of the chromosomes, the X, the double X or the XY, we know immediately what that mm. the gender of that child is. And a lot more. And a lot more. So that's right. DNA issues and such. So yeah, there's, yeah, yeah if, if you're going to go to faith, the Psalm yeah. 139 concept has been yeah. supported by science. Yes. Well, it's amazing. I, I think that this is going to continue to be an issue, of course, and it's why we have to protect the Supreme Court, the role of the Supreme Court. One thing real quick, I want you to comment a little bit about, uh, about why we allowed protesting outside <laughs> of the Supreme Court justices' homes when that is a clear violation of federal law. Is. Isn't that right? It's a clear violation of federal law. It's also a clear violation of state and city municipal law. That is called weenie. Um, that's called uh, no sheriff stepping up and coming in yeah. when he could have. Yep. Any one of those local sheriffs could have come in and, and just asserted their authority and said, the heck with what everybody else is not doing here. I'm going to just assert my authority. Mm. Uh, the, the local police could have asserted themselves. They've got municipal uh, code that supports that. You're not supposed to be able to go to somebody's house and harass them. You just you just can't do that. Yeah. Whether they're that's even if you're not not even if you're a judge. Right. Then you put the, on top of that the envelope of a federal appointed position, and there's a yeah. whole other layer of protection. Then on top of that, you put a Supreme Court justice, right. of which there are only nine on the planet, and yeah. they have a specific call out for you not being able to go against to try to harass them in any way, shape, or form yes. to change their mind. And all of these violations are, a, 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 in my opinion, a sign of a really bad moment, which really yeah. needs to get spanked. I'm hoping at these next elections, they get spanked badly for it. Yeah. But this is in contradiction to what the whole constitution is based on. Mm. John Adams comes out the gate and says, look, man, this constitution is a republic. Yeah. It's kind of simple, but it's not got the capability to handle anything but a moral people. You've got to have moral people running it or it won't work. And it's the same thing. If you're not going to enforce the law, I mean, look at Portland, look at Seattle. Yes. These are beautiful cities, beautiful cities, yes. gorgeous. Yes. Breaks your heart. You go to Portland now, you, do, you are afraid to go there. Yes. You go to LA. I mean, I was born in Pasadena. I always had a nostalgia for Southern California. You go to LA. I, I, I cannot believe how yes. bad it is yeah the, the the needles all over the place the the, the yes. level of uh degradation and safety yeah. and that's all because you're not enforcing the law so yeah. what they didn't do with the supreme court justices that's happening everyone everywhere else is yes. really a violation of our whole code yes. of ethic yeah. you're supposed to uphold the law yeah and when they didn't do that they really denigrated themselves. And that really yeah. needs to get corrected. Yeah. And I think it, as a, just a, an everyday citizen, it's disturbing that people can be encouraged to harass people when they're out in public, whether they're at restaurants, we saw That's that horrible. happen with, yeah. with Justice uh, Gorsuch and others. We're seeing, we're seeing 
elected officials encourage people to get up in people's faces and harass them. It's just the breakdown of a civil society based upon virtues and values that we used to have in common. And of course, it's part of the overall agenda, right? To increase the control and power of those few in power and to really make the rest of us just subjects. You know, they had two organizations that I was able to find I, a podcast or two ago, and I just been the last one, and I identified them. And these organizations were giving bounties. Yeah. To give locations. That's how they knew Gorsuch was at Morton's chop house. Mm -hmm. And they were able to go and intimidate the general manager. And of course, security wasn't going to wait around. They yeah. got him out of there and they said, we're not going to wait to figure out what happens here. Yeah. But, you know, he's just trying to enjoy a meal in a pretty fair, kind of a private type of a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. It's quiet and sort of dark. And, yeah. you know, the general manager did a good job of saying, go pound sand. We're not going to be intimidated yes. by it. But can you believe that? They're giving people no. bounties. No. to locate Supreme Court justices so that they can be harassed. And then yeah. they have these people already, they're like, they can be ignited on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. They pull the trigger and boom, yeah. you can get a whole bunch of people over to protest. Yes. Very, very, very bad. That's and that troubling. is not yeah. the way that our constitution is set up. It's no. set up for good people to be ordered yes. in a way with limited government so that you can freely enjoy your life but yes. it requires good people. Yeah. And at the same time, they're trying to take away our second amendment rights to not only protect ourselves against the tyranny of the government, but also to protect ourselves just in a common sense, uh, you know, self-defense environment, which, which can you imagine in the environment where we currently sit in, if we didn't have that right. But the good news is the court just ruled that, you know, you can't put unreasonable restrictions on someone's right to conceal carry. So that, I think that's another big win. That was a six uh, to three. That was a six to three win. They got all mad about that, but it was a good yeah. six to three win. It was based on constitutional law. You know, Thomas yeah. comes out and says, look, the second amendment is pretty clear. I mean, yeah. it says shall not be infringed. Yeah. I mean, what else do you need? And so he's like, you can't make it a weaker thing just because you don't right. like it. Right. And it was thought through. It was yes. one of the 10 amendments yes. that survived. Yeah. Thank God it did. I'll tell you that. I mean, you know, I would hate to be in a situation where only the bad guys have the ability to do significant harm. And I would. What about that Indiana guy? Oh, my just, gosh. Uh, the, 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 the young hero. Yes. Yes. And there and it goes on unre unreported, of course, but there's estimates that between 300,000 and 500,000 times law abiding citizens hmm intervene and prevent crimes because they're concealed carries. I mean, it's incredible. I believe that. Yeah. I can tell you that I just saw a statistic yesterday where 22 of the 400 uh, mass shootings were stopped. Wow. By a guy. Wow. Yeah. 22 of the 400 were stopped. And I think that's like since 2000 or something, 2000 to present, yeah. there's been 400 mass shootings. I guess a mass shooting is three or more get killed. Yeah. But well, th that's, st that's still a lot. And it you is. don't ever hear the media talking about, no. hey, thank God for all of the 22 times, what, half a dozen people that survived because the good guy shot the bad guy that yeah. had a concealed carry. He wasn't a cop. The cops didn't have time to get there. Yeah. All, all of my military friends, especially the guys that did special ops, special forces guys, oh, yeah. they'll all say the best defense against a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Absolutely. And, and you know they're right. Well, listen. We've covered a lot of ground, and this is so important that we do this because we need an educated citizenry. We need people to know mm -hmm. what our, our structure is. But as we wrap up the show, you know, let's encourage our listeners 
tell them what they can do to make a difference and defend freedom and keep America strong. What, from your seat, what are some ways yeah. that we can encourage our listeners? Well, first of all, just read Article 1, 2, and 3 of the Constitution. They're pretty easy. It won't take you that long. Yes. Uh, read the Declaration of Independence. Look at the, the Federalist Papers and educate yourself. Yeah. But what you can do is vote. And mm. you've got to vote with people that are closer to the original concept of ruling and governing. Mm. And that is that you're there to start with the freedom principle and then build and develop legal theory and, and, and legislation from there. Mm. You're not supposed to start with how can I control people and get something accomplished. You're starting from a freedom principle, protecting that freedom principle, and then administering what's to the benefit of folks from there. And keep in mind that general welfare was to the states. And mm. so it's not for the federal government to determine general welfare. It's the states to determine the federal welfare. Mm. So uh, I love it when people uh, refresh themselves on the 10th Amendment. The whole concept of the states having a lot of authority was also another check and balance. So you mm. get the, the check and the balance within the legislative, the check and the balance between the legislative and the executive Beautiful. and the courts, and the check and the balance between the feds and the states. Mm. It's a good mix of, hey, government, you serve us. We are the people. And this is a government of the people and by the people. And yes. it's for the people. Yes. And so I think when we forget that, we end up with all these crazy, bad legislative ideas. And when yes. we remember that, we come up with good ways to set people free and to let them live prosperous lives. Yes. Well, that is a great, a great and encouraging note to end on. Get involved, engage in the voting process, engage at the local and state levels, because that's where a lot of this really gets settled. Absolutely. Barry, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for the way you've hey, unpacked these topics. Yeah, you're the a best. A lot of fun to be with you. God Have bless a great you, day. man. Thank you.